Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. We're leaning into the book of Nehemiah because Nehemiah had to rebuild the walls of a city just as we're going to start restoring and renovating this building. And so let's jump into chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. I'll read it. The scriptures will come up on the screen. It goes as follows. Nehemiah talking. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, I think this is the funniest insertion right here. Like, you got to just acknowledge that mama was sitting right next to daddy. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like out of nowhere. It's like, and the king said to me, and his wife was right there next to him. Anyway, just things that tickle me about the scriptures, okay? The queen sitting beside him, well, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. <laughs> Nehemiah is amazing. And did you guys catch that right there? Nehemiah said, write a letter to Asaph because he's the guy that controls all the timber because I'm going to need some wood for the temple and for my house. <laughs> I love that. He says, we need timber for the wall of the city and for my house. I mean, this was a brave request. I like this guy. He's like, I'm going to build a church and I'm going to build a casita right next to it, okay? So let's get this letter sent so that I can build the temple and I can have enough wood for my house too. Anyway, again, it's just stuff you find in the scriptures. If you Sometimes you read right through it and you don't even see it. It's, it's there though. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. For the next few moments, I want to talk to you on this thought. Shoot your shot. Shoot your shot. Let's pray together. Father, the name of Jesus, we thank you, God, for everything that you are doing here. We thank you, God, because we have felt your presence from the moment that we have arrived on this campus. I'm so grateful, God, that you are allowing us to lean into your presence today once again to, to worship, Lord God, to just lift up your name because truly, Father, there is no other name like your name. And now at this time, I pray, God, that you would open up every heart and mind to receive your word. Let us, Lord God, receive a word that you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Clap your hands one last time. Lighthouse, you may be seated. Shoot your shot. You know, when I think about my journey to becoming a pastor, a pastor of Lighthouse Church, I can tell you that my journey did not go exactly as I expected. When I first graduated from Bible college and had my degree in theology, I started working for the church that I attended at that time, and I for sure thought that I would just stay plugged into that church for a long time. I'd climb the church staff ladder, and when it was my season, when it was time, God would release me somewhere in my late 20s to allow me to go and start a church of my own, and it was going to be in the South Bay because that's where I am from. That's where I felt like I had a network and some influence, and these were all my ideas and my plans for what God was going to do through me. But God's plans for me were much different than my plans. 
God's plans for me were much different than my thoughts. And, and you know what I didn't anticipate in my journey, and it sounds so naive to say that now with my 40-year-old self, but, but I didn't anticipate any downs. You know, how many in your early 20s just don't anticipate that you're ever going to have any downs? It's just like, nah, I've got the favor of God. It's going to be up and to the right. And it's just going to be this linear progression, this this linear advancement. And it's never going to be I'm never going to experience any hardships or difficulties. Everything's just going to be easy. It's kind of like hiking. Do you got any hikers in the room? Where's all my hikers? I know we got one over there. Yeah, people enjoy hiking. Recently, my wife and I, we took the week off and we went hiking. We hiked Mount Woodson together, a.k.a. Potato Chip Rock. Anybody ever done that one? No? Okay. It's funny. You get the, I love the mixed reactions in the room. Some of y'all look at me like excited. You're, when I say hiking, your face lights up. Other of you look like I'm trying to jab a fork into your eye. You're like, hiking? Ugh. Why would I do that? I love the mixed reactions. Well, anyway, when I was on this hike, it it, it very much reminded me, and all the hikers, you know this, anytime you're hiking up a mountain, it's never up and and, and just a a continual linear progression, right? How many know that when you're hiking, you actually went on the way up, there's some downs. On the way up, there's some turns. On the way up, there's some switchbacks. When you're on the bottom looking up, you think it's just going to be up. I remember when we were coming back down from the mountain, as we were coming back down, again, coming down the mountain, we saw this hill that went up like that. I'm like, hey, I remember that on the way up the mountain. You know, you're just so excited. I'm like, oh, and then I thought, oh, no, no, that, that's, that's, that's not for us, baby. We came a different way. And as we got closer, I'm like, oh, no, we did. So on the way down, I'm having to go back up. But that means that on the way up, there was some downs. And, and I think that's the way it is with God's call on our life. And I think that's the way it is as we're doing God's will for our life. On our way up, we do experience downs. On our way up to our mountains, on our way up to accomplish God's plan for our life, there's also going to be some downs. There's going to be some slopes. There's going to be some valleys. There's going to be some times where we are going to be in in a place where we think, how am I possibly advancing closer to the thing that God has called me to do? Because right now, I'm feeling very down about where life has me right now. I'm feeling very down about where I am right now. But you know, when I think back, going back to my life, I, I, I realized that at 28 years old, when I thought I'd start a church, I had not lived through enough downs to develop the maturity that I needed to pastor today. I can tell you for a fact that there was a certain maturity that I didn't have in my late 20s that I have now at 40 years old. Listen, I needed to go through some downs so I can pastor through a pandemic because that's no joke. Everyone's got an opinion and everyone thinks theirs is right. I mean, the last couple of years have been very difficult on the pastor because everyone has an opinion about what we should do about a wide range of topics. And because everyone's on social media, you think you all of a sudden have doctorates in virology, you know? Well, I just think it's fake, pastor. Well, I think it's real, pastor. I think we need to be doing this. Well, I think we need to be doing that. And don't live in fear. Oh, you got to choose faith, pastor. It's like all of this stuff that that if I'm honest, at 20 years old, I would have brought out a bazooka, you know what I mean? Like... I've blown this church up and started all over again. But there was a certain maturity that happens with time. There's a certain maturity that happens when you go through those downs. There's a certain, there's a certain thing that those, there's a, there's a certain process that valleys have in our life. How many ever looked back at a valley and thought, man, that was good for me? Yeah, I, I know at the time, 
You know, it doesn't feel good. I know at the time it feels like, oh, man, this is horrible. But how many of you have ever gone through something where in the moment it was very difficult, but maybe five years removed from that, you look back and you think, man, I really needed that in my life. I really needed to go through that. And so, you know, I say all of that because I feel like my journey to, to where I'm at today has done nothing but prepare my wife and to prepare myself to really lead this church. And for us to finally, at 38 years old, not in my 20s, but at 38 years old, I heard the voice of God say one more time to me, now it's time to go. And when God said go, when God said to us, it's time to go, we went and, and we took our shot. And here in the text, Nehemiah is taking his shot here in chapter two. So what we talked about last week was Nehemiah asked some of his countrymen, hey, how's everything going in Jerusalem? The exiles have left Babylon. They're in Jerusalem. They're real, rebuilding the temple. Um, how's everything going out there? And he got some really bad news. You guys remember that last week? If you missed the message, you can go back on YouTube, catch up with it, catch the podcast. But, but Nehemiah asked the question, how's it going? And when he got the news that it wasn't going so well, it created a deep burden on the inside of him. And we read in chapter 1 that he wept, he prayed, he repented, and all this stuff was going on. Well, then we get to chapter 2, and, and some scholars say about four months have passed from the time that he first got the news about Jerusalem to where he is at in chapter 2. Everybody say four months. It's now four months later, and he still has that deep burden on the inside of him, and he hasn't done anything about it. Now, I know that's very countercultural to what we do today, right? I mean, many of us get something, and we don't have time to put together a plan. We just run. Where are, where are all of my people that run first and think about it later? Come on, where are you at? Be honest with yourself. Yeah, thank you. See, I'm not alone. I, see, I, I test high in the gift of discernment, and I'm not talking about spiritually speaking. I'm talking about even corporately speaking and work speaking. I, 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 have, a, I have a high discernment, so I tend to run without thinking. And, and in my mind, I'm like, well, this is, this is easy. I know what the answer is. Let, let's go. But we look at Nehemiah, and when he finds out that things aren't going so good in Jerusalem, he just sits on it. He, he just waits for a while. He doesn't run, but, but he just sits on it for a while. Before the king finally asks him, Nehemiah, what's up? Why, why are you so sad all the time? And, I, and I, I, love, I love that because I think there's some two things that we can get from that. Number one, don't run without first thinking. Can I get a good amen on that? I think it's so important for us to process information. I think it's so important for us to put a plan together. I think it's so important that before we run and do something that we might regret later, that we wait. Because Nehemiah absolutely felt a burden, but he had to let that simmer for a bit. And I think sometimes we might think it's the call of God. And if you sit on that for a few months, you might realize that might have just been your emotions. Sometimes we feel a burden for something. We think it's a burden for something, but it might just be your emotions. I know that there's been times where I thought I had this incredible ministry idea. I let it sit for about two, three months. I realized that wasn't a great idea. I was highly emotional. I went to a conference. I heard something, and I wanted to implement it, you know, but it wasn't for us. And so I think there's, there's, there's a lot of wisdom to be found in Nehemiah's response in that he decided, I'm just going to wait on this for a little while. I'm going to think about this. I'm going to just pray about this before I run. And, and that's the second thing, which I just alluded to. To, he prayed. Tell your neighbor, Nehemiah prayed about it. Nehemiah thought for in, in that moment, I got to do something about this. I got to do something about it, but he didn't. What he did do was pray. Let's get the scriptures on the screen. Nehemiah 2, 4, it says, then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So Nehemiah said, so I prayed to the God of heaven. How many know that prayer helps us process God's plan for our life? 
I have a friend of mine that says, it says, prayer processes the plan. That's not in my notes, but that's a good note. You should write that down. Prayer processes the plan of God. And that's what Nehemiah did. The king's like, why are you so sad? What, what, what can I do for you? Nehemiah says, hold that thought. I'm going to go and pray about it. I wish we did a little more of this right in the church, huh? We just, just said, you know what? Let me go take this into a time of prayer. And finally, when he, he, he had the boldness, then he makes the request. He says, you know what would be so helpful? What would be helpful is if you let me go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. So he, he makes his big request, but it was only after he had prayed about it. If you're going to shoot your shot, you better spend some time praying about it. If you're going to shoot your shot, you need to spend some time bringing that before God. If you're going to shoot your shot, you need to spend some time meditating on it and really processing that. And that's what Nehemiah does. He knows that there's this deep burden that he's carrying, but he took time to pray about it. Now, now here's the next thing that happens, and I want you to write this down. Nehemiah realized that his purpose was connected to his burden. So your purpose is often connected to your burden, okay? I'm going to walk that out with you right now because some of you are here in this tent and you're not really sure what you should be doing for God. So let me try to help you. Oftentimes, your purpose, oftentimes God's assignment for your life is connected to something that burdens you. It's connected to something that might be a pain point for you. And, and what is a burden? A burden is basically a need that you see that you can do something about, a burden is a need that you see. Listen, maybe some other people don't see it, but you see it. How many of you got that eye for something that other people just don't have? How many of you guys have that eye? I mean, I, I realize that my wife's got an eye for the house that I don't have. She'll walk into the room. And she's like, this room is a mess. I'm like, what are you talking about? This room is immaculate. I had to learn to adapt her eye. But seriously, in the spiritual sense, and when it comes to doing something for the kingdom of God, oftentimes you'll have a burden for something that other people just don't care about. They just don't see it. They don't see it. But you see it because God wants you to see it. You see something that other people don't see because God has gifted you to see it. And he hasn't just gifted you to see it, but he's put a burden on the inside of you to do something about it. You see, having a burden for something, you have to have the capacity to actually do something about. Here's what I've learned. There are many things that I can do nothing about. Listen, when I can't do something about it, it's probably not my purpose. All right? If you don't think the worship is good enough and you think you can do something about it but you can't sing, you probably can do nothing about it. You know what I'm saying? If you don't have the capacity to do it, it's probably not your purpose. You can pray for it. You, you can maybe get rally some people to get around it, but, but, but ultimately you have to have the capacity to actually do something about it. And beyond that, you know that it's a burden that's connected to your purpose when you have the ability to do something about it that other people don't. When you have the ability to do something about it that other people don't. What I love about leading a church what I love about a faith community is whenever people step up because they have the capacity, the wherewithal, the expertise, the training, the gifting to do something about it. I love that. When people step up and they say, I can do something 
about it. I think about our youth, I think about our, our student ministry here at this church. I remember when we first started, and uh, you know, we didn't, you know, when you start a brand new church, you don't have every ministry worked out. You're, you're just getting things started. You're getting things off the ground. And I knew that Peter and Ruthie had a burden for the young people, but we weren't quite ready to just launch a student ministry just yet. We were just trying to figure out how to do Sundays. Remember that, Lighthouse Church? I mean, we were just trying to figure out how to turn the lights on. We're like, okay, how do we turn on the soundboard? Okay, there we go. You know what I mean? We're just learning how to do all that. And people would ask, what about the youth? And I'm like, what about Sunday? Let's figure out Sunday first. And then, and then we'll figure things out. But I remember that Peter and Ruthie, they said, Pastor, we can do something about the students. And we put it into their hands, and they have been running ever since. Because they didn't just have a burden for the youth, but they had a capacity. Have you ever met someone that had the burden but no capacity? Pastor, I can do something about it. I'm like, I bet you could. <laughs> and it'll be something. <laughs> it'll be something. But, but, but I believe when you, start thinking about, when you start thinking about capacity, ability, and God actually making that a burden, you begin to see how that is divinely connected to your purpose. That God will call you to go and do something that you could absolutely do something about. That's why I love children's pastors. Don't you appreciate children's pastors? How many know that the children's ministry, raise your hands if you know the children's ministry would be a wreck if we put you in charge. Look at my hand. I put that up fast. Do I have a burden for kids? Absolutely. I want kids to encounter Jesus. I want kids to, to enter into a relationship with him. Do I, am I the best shot that these kids got? Probably not. I would bring back discipline. The old-fashioned I'm kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. The capacity to do something about. So we're talking about having a burden. Nehemiah had a burden, and what I love about this is he knew he had the capacity to do something about it. Remember we talked about Nehemiah being a cupbearer, which meant he was someone that was trusted. He was someone that had risen above his peers. Listen, they did not let some lazy flake become the cupbearer to the most powerful king of the then known world, okay? If you were the cupbearer to the king, to the most powerful kingdom of the then known world, you were trustworthy. Who, what type of person becomes trustworthy? A person of excellence, a person of accountability, a person who does what they say and they say what they do. You know what I'm talking about? That was Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, from this very lofty position of being the cupbearer to the king, he knew that he was in a position to do something about it. So Nehemiah shot his shot. Nehemiah shot his shot because he said, you know what? If anyone can get these walls rebuilt... I can get these walls rebuilt. If anyone can go into Jerusalem and get these walls restored, because remember, the Bible says that the walls, because they were broken down, they had become a shame to the children of God. It was a reproach, the King James Version says. It was a shame for the people of God. And Nehemiah said, I'm not just going to go and build the walls, but I want to go remove the shame off of God's people. That was the burden that he had. I think about David. Do you guys remember David in the Old Testament? David in the book of Samuel is anointed to be the next king over all of Israel. And the Bible says that one day David is delivering cheese sandwiches to his brothers who were in Israel's army. Israel's army was pitted up against the Philistine army. And there was a champion of the Philistine army, a, a, a giant by the name of Goliath that was taunting the children of Israel. We read, read in the book of Samuel that he was out there taunting. Just, just, just taunting the, the, the children of Israel. Now, I want you to get this. And I want you to understand this. David was anointed to be the next king of Israel. He shows up, and there is a giant that is taunting Israel. David decides in that moment, 
I want to do something about it. Now, hold on a second, David. If you simply live, you get to be the next king of Israel. Think about that for a second. All David had to do to become the next king of Israel was not die, right? He was next. They anointed him next. They were like, like, you're next. Just stay alive. Don't die. And you'll be the king. That's kind of a cushy position, right? It's kind of like, okay, so as long as I stay alive, I'm the next king. Absolutely. Just don't die. All right. Like imagine if someone said, just don't die. And it's yours. Okay. You can be the CEO of a fortune 100 company. Just don't die. Okay. I'm not going to do anything crazy like jumping out of a plane. But what does David do? He decides to put on armor and go fight with the giant of a man. Why? Because the burden that he had on the inside of him was greater than, the, than, than just the expectation that one day he would be king. David had a burden so big that he was willing to step and risk it all and give his life to a cause that was bigger than him. David was willing to go down there and fight a giant. Why? Because it was a burden on the inside of him. And not just that. He knew he could do something about it, right? That was his conversation when he went to the king. He went to King Saul and he's like, I'll go take care of that giant for you. King Saul's like, what, what qualifies you to do this? He said, well, I killed the lion and I killed the bear. Like, like kind of a clean flex, right? You know, it's like, well, I killed lions and I killed bears. I can take care of that guy for you. But, but I love that David had such a burden. I love that David knew that something needed to be done, that he was willing to put all of those other promises on hold because he had a burden for something that was bigger than himself. There was a pain that he was feeling. It, it, it pained him to see Goliath that was there just taunting the armies of Israel. Now, I think that, that, um, I think that what happens is God will take your pain and transform it for his purpose. If you're taking notes, write that down. God will take your pain and transform it for his purpose. David shows up, and it pained him to see what was happening. So he, he literally puts himself on the battlefield, and God's like, all right, well, I'm going to have to stand by my guy. I've already anointed him to be the next king. So I'm going to use this pain that he's feeling in this moment, and I'm going to weave this into David's beautiful story of how he would become the greatest king of all of Israel. But it started with pain, okay? Tell your neighbor pain. It, it was a burden. It was something that, that was bothering him. It was something that, that, that when he saw what was happening, it brought him so much pain. Now, let me, trans over, let me transition over to Elijah. How many of you remember the prophet Elijah? We read about the prophet Elijah. Elijah was a bad man, wasn't he? Elijah was a bad man. Let me talk to you about Elijah. You see, Israel had fallen into idol worship, and so even though they were the, the children of God, even, even though they were God's chosen people, they began to fall into idolatry. And the Bible says they began to worship the false god Baal. They started worshiping the false god Baal. And Elijah was trying to correct Israel and trying to tell them, y'all got to repent. You can't be worshiping this false god Baal. But they weren't listening to him. I mean, Elijah's preaching and they weren't listening. Parents, don't be discouraged, all right? I know sometimes you're like preaching to your kid and they ain't listening, all right? They did the same thing to Elijah, all right? So, so I like what Elijah does. Elijah's like, how can I convince these people that we are worshiping the one true God? So what he does is he stages a showdown. He was gangster, you know what I mean? He's like, so here's what we're going to do. The Bible says of hundreds of prophets of Baal, this false god, he said, I want you all to meet me on the top of that mountain, and we are going to have a showdown, and we are going to prove who is the one true God? This all started with a burden. Somebody say a burden. 
He was burdened by something that he was seeing. He was seeing how Israel had fallen into idolatry and he wanted to do something about it. He wanted to do something about it. So some of y'all know the story. For those of you that don't, I'll give you the cliff note version. They get up on top of the mountain. He tells the prophets of Baal, go ahead, put some wood on this altar and you all start worshiping. And if Baal consumes this altar by fire, he's the one true God. And then he just sat there and made fun of them while they began to worship Baal and their God did not respond by fire. And I'm not lying. He did make fun of them. Go read the Bible. He said some funny things to them. And when their God didn't respond, it was time for him to let everyone know who the one true God was going to be. So he said, everybody bring some water, bring some water, soak the wood in water. It's like totally counterintuitive, but he was so confident in God. And after they had finished soaking all the wood with water, he had a very simple conversation with God. He said, it's time for them to, and I'm paraphrasing, but in so many words, he said, it's time for you to one more time remind the children of Israel that you are the one true God. Boom, that altar lit up with fire. And it reminded everyone who the one true God was. Now, I told you Elijah was a bad man, right? You want to know what he did right after this? Y'all, this is Old Testament, okay? This is Old Testament. He killed every single one of those prophets. <laughs> Why are you laughing? That's like <laughs> he was a bad man. But, but, it, but it began with the burden. Elijah had a burden. Elijah was just, he, he was just, he was just so consumed with this. And this is what a burden will do. A burden is for a cause that is bigger than you. You know what I'm talking about? A a burden is towards a cause for something that is bigger than you. God God will deposit a burden on the inside of you. God will deposit a calling on the inside of you. And when he does it, it's never just for you. Okay? You got to get that. It's never just for you. God does not put a burden on the inside of you to grow your influence. God does not put a burden on the inside of you to grow your followers. God does not put a burden on the inside of you to grow your likes on social media. Every time God puts a godly burden on the inside of you, it is connected to something that is bigger than you. God put that burden on the inside of Elijah, not so he can get up there and let everyone know that he was a great prophet, so that he did this to one more time remind the people of Israel that they were serving the one true God. It was, a, it was connected to something that is bigger than him. And listen, I know this is countercultural right now because we're living in a day and time where we promote selfishness. We do. We, we promote selfish living. You live your own truth. You do you. I don't care what the haters say. I'm going to do me. And, and, and that's really contrary to the lifestyle that Jesus lived and the lifestyle that he invites us into, right? And this is why we bring our gifts and our talents collectively to the church and lay them down for a cause that is bigger than us. We do this because there's a burden on the inside of us to see people changed, to see marriages restored, to see lives transformed, to see sons and daughters coming back home, to see the sick healed, to see the bound delivered, to see people who are living without hope, to find a hope that is greater than all other hope. There is a cause that is so much bigger than me. There is a cause that is so much bigger than you. It's called the kingdom and it's called the church. And I'm so glad that I get to be a part of it. Is there anyone else excited and happy and glad that God has invited you into this cause to be a part of something bigger than you? But here's what I know about callings and here's what I know about burdens, okay? Oftentimes, when the burden comes and hits you, it will not be dressed up as a microphone with lights and a platform. 
okay? Here's the truth about callings and burdens. Y'all ready for this? Oftentimes, God's purpose for your life is going to come dressed up in overalls and work boots. It will. It absolutely will. Oftentimes, the burden that God deposits in you will require you to work harder than you've ever worked, to believe greater than you've ever believed, and it's going to stretch you more than you've ever been stretched. It is going to stretch you more than you have ever been stretched. Now, I know we want it to be easy. I know we want to hack, but there's no hack for God's calling on your life. There is no YouTube hack to being obedient to the calling that God has placed on your life. There is no shortcut to obedience. There just isn't. It does not exist. Obedience will require everything of you. Obedience is going to ask everything of you. And, and, and this is what's crazy, okay? Here's what's crazy. As Nehemiah was getting the blessing from the king to return, again, great position, cupbearer to the greatest king of the then-known world. And he's saying, I want to go back. I want to go back and rebuild the walls. Just as the king is giving him his blessing, we read this verse, Nehemiah 2.10. Let's get it on the screens. But when Sambalot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Who are these people? Who's Sanballat and who's Tobiah? These were the enemies of Israel. So just as Nehemiah is getting his approval, just as Nehemiah is getting his funding, <laughs> just as Nehemiah is getting his authority, we get a visual of what's going on closer to where he is headed. The enemy is gearing up to oppose him at every single step. And listen, some of us, whenever we run into opposition, we go to God acting like we've got news for him. Did you know, God, that Sambalot and Tobiah were there? Like, like God, I, I don't know if you knew this, but, but while you were blessing me here in Babylon and preparing me to go build a wall, you'll never guess this, God. Do you want to know what happened? Tobiah and Sambalot found out that I was coming, and, and, and they're going to make it very difficult for me, God. And, and that's crazy. Because right in the middle of Nehemiah getting his approval, we hear the enemy licking its chops, getting ready to oppose him. And none of this surprises God. This is why I, I often ask myself, when did, people get, um, the, when did the people of God get this idea that if we're doing the work of God, it's going to be easy? Where, where did we buy into this lie that becoming a Christian means your life is going to get better? Like, is this going to be easy? Like, like, when did we start believing this lie that by following Christ, we would never, ever have a bad day again? Nehemiah's getting his marching orders, <laughs> and his enemy is gearing up for battle. Come on, look at your neighbor and tell them in spite of. In spite of. This, this is what I see. This was God wasn't surprised by the haters that were waiting for Nehemiah on the other side. God wasn't surprised by any of that. You see, when God anoints you and when God calls you and when God puts a burden on the inside of you, he knows exactly the opposition that's coming against you. And he does it anyway. When God calls you and leads you to do something for the kingdom of God, he already knows what you're going to have to fight once you get there. And he calls you anyway. He doesn't clear that path. He doesn't remove the enemy. Oftentimes, God's going to put you in a difficult situation, and it's exactly where God wants you to be. 
He puts you in a difficult situation, and it's exactly where he needs you to be. Our problem is we forget the scriptures, and our problem is, is we have these unrealistic expectations that there's never going to be a bad day. It's never going to be hard. And meanwhile, God says, the reason I'm moving you in that direction and knowing that there's an enemy on the other side of, on the other side of where you are at right now, in the direction of where you're headed, is I am trying to teach you that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If, if I made it easy for you, I'd never teach you that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. If I remove, my, if I remove the enemy from Jerusalem, then you'll never experience the powerful truth that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I believe that God wants us to walk out all of the scriptures. How many believe that God wants you to experience everything that he has for you in his word? Amen. So the only time that you're ever going to experience what it is like to be more than a conqueror is when you finally have to conquer something. And I know the thought of conquering something is difficult because it means it's a fight. It means it's a struggle. It means it's going to require counseling. It means it's going to require prayer. It's going to mean you're going to need your connect group fasting for you. But if you can get through that thing, if you can push through that hardship, if you can defeat that enemy, you're going to come out of that much more stronger. And you're going to be able to read that verse and say, you know what? I am more than a conqueror. It's not just about reading a verse, but it's able to sit down with someone and share with them. Let me tell you about when my marriage was about to end and God saved my marriage. Let me tell you when I thought I lost my son and God brought him back home. Let me tell you the story about when I was laid off from my job and I had to believe God against everything I was seeing. And I saw the supernatural provision of God in my life. But you don't see that if you're always running every time you get into a fight. Now, listen to you. I got to be careful with this. I am not saying that everything that you come against in life is designed by God. I'm not going to say that either. Sometimes bad things just happen, and God ain't in it. But it's up for you to go to God and discern what it is that you're facing. Sometimes something bad happens too, and it's just a result of someone else's bad decision. That nothing to do with God. God gives us a free will. God gives us a free choice. Oftentimes I talk to some young people and they're suffering because of a decision their dad made and it had nothing to do with them. But what you must do is have the same wherewithal that Paul had. You guys remember Paul in the book of Corinthians, he goes to God and he says, I've got a thorn in my flesh. And he says, I prayed to God three times. Would you take this thorn away from me? And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. So sometimes what you're going through, it might just be life and it has nothing to do with God. But there are other times, and this is why you've got to go to God in prayer, where God will tell you, no, 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 I'm not going to remove this because I put it there. I'm not going to remove this because I allowed it. And this thing is going to become your teacher. And this thing is going to teach you how to pray more than you've ever prayed before. This thing is going to teach you how to fast because you didn't have a fasting life until this thing came into your life. You didn't seek me as long as everything was good. But this thing is going to be your schoolmaster until you learn how to seek me. God will do that. God will absolutely do that. If you're asking yourself, why would God allow my enemies to to co-locate with my promise? I believe that God will allow these things to happen because he is trying to pull something out of you. That if there is no opposition, you would never know. Write this down. Some of the things that you are facing are designed to pull God's assignment out of you. Not everything, some of the things. You go pray. You have a conversation with God. Get around some people of wisdom and have that conversation. But there are some things 
that are designed to pull God's assignment out of you. David would not be a giant slayer if he didn't first face Goliath. Goliath pulled that assignment out of David's life. And I call it an assignment because he didn't just fight one Goliath. He didn't just fight one giant. There was a total of five giants that he killed in his lifetime. David was literally a giant slayer because Goliath had cousins. It was kind of like hood, you know what I'm saying? Like they came back for retaliation. Like, hey, you killed my cousin. This dude's like eight foot tall. David kills him. The next, the next brother shows up. I mean, it was real gangster, you know what I'm saying? So, but it's there in the Bible. Five Goliath, the five giants David killed. But he didn't even know that he had that anointing of a giant slayer on his life until God first put a giant in front of him and he pulled that assignment out of him. I don't think Peter knew that he was a preacher until God put a congregation in front of him and pulled that assignment out of him. God will put you in a position to pull your assignment out of you. And I'm coming to a close now. And, 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 but all of this is connected to a burden. All of this is connected to God's purpose and plan for your life. Again, it begins with a burden. And, and sometimes these things bring about confrontation and difficult situations. And, and God will use these things to bring out his assignment. I love what Paul says to Timothy Second Timothy, let's get that scripture on the screen because not only did Paul, remember I told you about how Paul prayed to God. He's like, God, I've got this thorn in my flesh. And he goes to him three times. He's like, would you remove this thorn in my flesh? And God said, just deal with it. <laughs> well, he told him, my grace is sufficient to you. But listen, after Paul learned that lesson, what did he tell Timothy? Because Timothy was his spiritual son. And Timothy was dealing with some pushback while he was trying to lead the churches that Paul had planted. He'd plant a church leader to Timothy. The Bible says that Timothy was a young man, like in his early 20s, and he was pastoring multiple churches, but he was having a very difficult time. So Paul tells Timothy this, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. He tells Timothy, buck up, like share in the suffering. Like, that was his counsel to Timothy. Timothy's like, it's getting difficult pastoring all these churches. It was his assignment, okay? And what does Paul tell him? Sharing the suffering. I mean, if anyone was qualified to say that, it was Paul. What did Paul say about himself? He bore the marks of Jesus on his body, meaning he knew what it was like to be whipped just like Jesus was whipped. He knew what it was like to be stoned. He knew what it was like to be beaten to within an inch of his life. And when Timothy complained, he said, it's time you took some of yours too. That was his tough love that he gave to Timothy. Now, listen, I'm not trying to give you all that same level of tough love, but I will tell you, you will face opposition. And when you face opposition, you need to discern, is this God's way of teaching me? Is this God's way of developing me? Is this God's way of, of, of molding me? Again, not everything is, but, but you've got to discern. And I, and I love this. I'm closing with this. I, I love how Nehemiah, Every situation remembered God. Let me ask you guys, is this helping anyone here today? Lighthouse Church, y'all track with me today? Nehemiah, the reason I believe Nehemiah was so anointed by God. I got some scriptures I'm gonna read to you. Nehemiah 2 and 8. Listen, listen to listen to the way Nehemiah remembered God. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah 2.12 Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one that my God had put it into my heart to do for Jerusalem. 
There was no animal with me but which the one that I wrote on. Nehemiah 2.20. Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right to claim, uh, or portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Why did I read all those verses in, sequ- in sequence for you? Because all throughout Nehemiah chapter 2, at every single turn, at every single opportunity, Nehemiah remembered God. Nehemiah acknowledged God. Nehemiah gave God glory. Church, what a powerful way to live, amen? To just at every single turn in our life, give God glory. At every single opportunity, acknowledge God. I mean, you know, growing up, I'd hear my grandmother say this, and maybe you heard your grandmother say this too, and um, it just kind of rolled off the tongue that sometimes I thought it was rhetoric, but it really wasn't. It really was this posture. It really was this disposition. That she, would, she would say something. Hey, Grandma, we're going to see you there. Yeah, God willing, we're going to be there. Lord willing, we're going to be there. You know, they, they, they say that in Spanish, right? If, if God wills, I'm going to be there. I'd be like, if God wills, just get in the car and show up. You know what I mean? I was like, what do you mean if God wills? Like, does he don't want you to go to the party? I mean, come on. It's a birthday party. But, but now I realize that there was such a reverence and an acknowledgement of God that I think we kind of need to bring back to the church once again. I, I think there's good in that. I, I had a friend of mine. Joanna remembers. I had a friend of mine who we we'd go hang out at their house, part of the youth group, and anytime someone was getting ready to leave the house, his dad would get up and pray for that person. It was kind of funny at the time, like growing up, we're like, oh God, here he comes again. He's gonna pray for me. I'm just going home, not to Alaska. You know, it's like time for me to go home. Saint, Saint, let me pray for you real quick. And then he'd bless us, and then we'd go about. And again, as a child, I thought, man, this is a little overboard, but now I realize, man, what a blessing. that this man at every single turn took time to pray for us and anoint us. We couldn't even go to walk to 7-Eleven to get a Slurpee without being prayed for. I mean, it was like automatic. But, But Nehemiah acknowledged God and he remembered God at every single turn. And, and, and I think, let me help you with this. When you are doing God's purpose for your life, don't forget that because it's really easy to get into these moments where you feel like you're alone. It's really easy to get into these places where you feel like maybe God is no longer with you. I've learned this a long time ago, that if God brought you to it, God will lead you through it. If God brought you to it, he will lead you through it. You have to have the confidence to believe that if it was God, this is why I say you have to pray, And you have to process because a lot of Christians will do a lot of things and blame it on God. And God's like, that wasn't me. That was not me. But if it is a God thing, if it is 100% what God is doing, if he brought you to it, he will absolutely lead you through it. This last thing that I want you to write down, the key to longevity in your assignment is your complete dependence on God. Talk about staying power. Staying power. One of the things that really hurt out of 2020 was the amount of ministries and pastors that were removed from leadership. Didn't it feel like 2020 you heard a lot about pastors just kind of losing their churches, moral failure, financial failure, just stuff, stuff. Like, I don't know if it's just because we're all in quarantine, you know what I'm saying, and all that stuff just came to light. But in a way, in a way, it felt like God was pruning, you know what I'm saying? It felt like God was pruning his church. And I think that 
the reason people lose their longevity is they stop acknowledging God and they stop their complete dependence on God. Lighthouse, may we never lose this posture. May we never lose this posture that without him, we could do nothing. Let me pray with you. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads right where you're at? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Father, for this time that we've had. I thank you, God, for how you're moving and speaking to us here. God, I just pray right now that as we talked about a burden, as we talked about a calling, as we talked about purpose, that you would wake some of us up. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.